Welcome to another episode of OTXNT, which stands for Old Testament, Christ, New Testament. Two men, two degrees, Old Testament and New Testament. Listen to Dr. Andrew Marquez and Dr. Benjamin Pate begin a discussion on topics that you and I should probably be thinking about from a Baptist perspective. Hang in there. It's going to be all right. This stuff is good. Hit that like button. Check us out on YouTube. Hey, man, I'm live. I am too. Hey, (laughs) welcome to another OTX NT. It's a beautiful Thursday if you're listening to this. I don't know. I hope Thursday is beautiful as we're recording this. It could be, may not be, but welcome. We are in, is this part four now? Is this our part four discussion on worship? Yeah, part four music extended to worship. And now we're talking about the the response time and and what that might look like. Yeah, I, I, man, I, I love how we do this, which is it just, you know, we're here one day and, you know, let's just keep going. Let's keep talking about more. It's just how you and I talk normally, anyways, is we, we go from one thing to the next and eventually we circle back. somewhere but it takes a while so i am glad to to be at this one because this is something i've struggled with uh and the idea of response times uh altered calls all that comes with that is that a necessary piece for a worship service so i'm excited to kind of dive into that with you yeah i, I think it's important and it's um you know there again some of this stuff is battles that were fought in that seeker sensitive uh fight which is kind of old <laughs> at this point um church has made a decision on things and they do it different ways but yeah the, there has been a number of challenges uh, should we do a response time that's uh in the way that it was in the revival era and uh you know if you don't get people to come up did you fail in delivering a good message you know is that the measure yeah your success as a preacher and um there are those pressures that you know you can sense especially as a young preacher and in, in trying to you know, um, get your own sense of validity from, you know, is this, is this touching anybody or am I wasting my words? That kind yeah. Of yeah. So, um, I got some thoughts, man. I am ready to, to, to begin to talk this one through with you. You want to start us off though? Yeah, let's go ahead and pray. We'll do the Lord's prayer in our, in our way. And then I'll let you tee it up. All right, man. All right. Uh, join me if you will. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So, all right, let's let's talk this one through. Um, I think some would say, depending on what context you grew up in, um, that a altar call, uh, a, I'll start with altar call because I think it's morphed now, but an altar call is an essential part of a worship service that after doing all that you've done, after you've preached at the very end, you must have a time where people, you ask people to come down to make their decision for Jesus, uh, during that song, uh, I had one church that I used to go to in college, uh, where, uh, it was, um, just as I am was pretty much the song every single time. 
And, uh, you know, and, and that church did a lot of good ministry too. And I think a lot of people had gotten saved in the years in there, but, uh, that's one of those things where, yeah, I, when I started preaching, I just started wondering, uh, you know, is this something that I want to do? Um, I don't know. I, so I guess, Andrew, here's where I started when I, when I got into youth ministry and I started doing youth ministry there, you, you recognize that there is this element that they do, especially at camp time. Um, you know, the, my least favorite night at youth ministry camp, uh, was Wednesdays or Thursdays, depending on which that was cry night. And the expectation was they were going to make this the big night where everybody has to respond. You need to come down. You've got to do this. You got to come down out, out your bleachers, go meet with a worker somewhere, go spend some time talking with them, make your decision. And so we would kind of, you know, count the decisions for Christ and rededications and, uh, you know, all that stuff is good. Right. But my, I, I remember having a conversation with my students later on and they were like, pastor, this is weird. I, it's, you know, we're just, I'm not crying. Like, well, you don't have to cry. Like what, what, what the heck? Like, yeah. like, but there is this expectation that you're going to be emotionally touched and you must make some sort of decision. So that stuck with me. Um, and I, granted, I was kind of already there uh, when I was doing youth ministry of not really wanting to feel like I was manipulating or anything like that. But there was an element that I kind of always felt like it's, it's about the right song, the right key, the right response, get a couple people, they come down next thing, you know, but you know, after a while, it's how many people can get saved or like, or what are they going to, it's the same people coming down all the time. So I don't know, man, that's, that's kind of my initial thoughts. And I just kind of ramble is I've not really ever been a real fan of an altar call in a service. What do you think? Yeah. And I, I come, you know, from a tradition where we, we always did uh, a time of invitations, what we call, call it or an altar call. Uh, and, um, it wasn't as programmatic as the same song every time, but, um, yeah, I, I can, completely connect with what you're saying, uh, especially, you know, I was saved at a young age and uh, there was just this desire not to be left out at age four, you know, my cousins and my sister, they got saved. So I needed to get saved. And, uh, and I had a lot of knowledge of the scripture, but I didn't have much of a understanding of sin or anything. And, and so I, I kind of um, got caught up in, in some of that emotionalism and, and wanting to be with everybody else. And, uh, you know, later made a profession um, at seven, still very young, and so I've always been guarded about, you know, trying to get people to make a decision earlier, what's motivating that decision and, um, and kind of being that tail end of Gen X, which I, I still place myself in Gen X, even though I'm 82. Uh, and I think 1982 now has been pushed, but um, uh, Zenial, I think is the name for me, because I can remember the time without um, computers and living in that kind of clash between um, technology and the previous Gen X group. But there's an authenticity desire in the Gen X uh, generation. You know, we, we wanted it to be real and authentic and not, not fake. And uh, so I think there's a certain uh, generational thing that bristles at this uh, sense that I'm being manipulated. If I feel like I'm being manipulated, I'm, I'm very upset. And I, yeah. I, I really push back on that, maybe even uh, overly so. So it's always bothered me um, that, all right, well, why do we have to have music during the altar call? You know, why, why do we have to uh, have a longer song, you know, and yeah. some, sometimes the, the preacher will uh, even, uh, 
keep it going because they're expecting a decision and they're going to, you know, hold everyone hostage per se until that decision gets made. And you, you know, anyone who's seen that, it's just uh, either you're just all in and you're like, no, 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 that's the Holy Spirit working through the preacher and we're just going to keep it going because that preacher knows and, and he needs to hold this open until there's a response. Or you kind of go the other direction and say, you know, it, it's just um, we're, we're forcing something that it, it's not ready. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I definitely so. So I feel what you're saying there. Uh, at the same time, I uh, like the idea that part of worship involves a response yeah uh, and that response can be salvation and that's the most important response uh, but we shouldn't limit it to that and and then there might be different ways of calling for that response yeah i mean i, I do want to say this like hey do you have you ever had and not and if somebody has been who's been watching this i'd love to hear this but like i don't think since i've been preaching um and teaching, doing youth and students, you know, and adults, like this, that moment where it's like, you've got to hold the service longer so that that person, there's a person out there that we're just waiting. Like, I've never had that, uh, like this overwhelming sense of we keep the, keep the music going. Someone's going to get saved we, we, that's, this is happening. Uh, now, and I don't know if that, you know, there is that piece too, that you struggle with, right? That this is, let me just, it's just a little side conversation to that of like, should I expect in every worship service, someone to get saved? Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that uh, I think all of us maybe have had uh, a, you know, that kind of a thought, it, of course, that's like the old um, Spurgeon quote that has weighed on me a long time. The young guy goes to Spurgeon and say, uh, you know, how come I don't see people get saved in my service, uh, you know, each time like you do? And Spurgeon said um, to him that, uh, well, do you expect that people would get saved? And he said, no. And he said, well, that's your problem. That's interesting, though. Uh, I'm buddies with Dennis Peathers over at Rooftop Ministries, and Dennis went to Spurgeon College um, and was a preacher in London. And he said that, too, that quote used to weigh on him in his book. He talks about like that was one that just hit me over and over and over. Like if I just if I just work at it hard enough and I just do this, that people are just going to get saved in my congregation. And then he said it hit me, though, at some point. Uh, as I would look at my ministry and then recognize that it wasn't happening in the church, uh, you know, like it used to it with Spurgeon uh, and Dennis is a massive evangelism ministry. The man's all about evangelism, yeah. but uh, Dennis would said in the book that it struck him that one of the difference between the time frame in which Spurgeon wrote and the time frame in which now we live in too, right. Is back in the day, Everybody who went to your church were, I mean, everybody went to church, right? Yeah. There was not somebody who wasn't in church. That was kind of what you did and had to do and expected to do. Uh, and so people were in those churches because it was culturally the thing to do. Fast forward to today when this, the numbers are staggering of the, 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 of actually people who go to church. And so the, those people aren't there anymore. The lost aren't into your service like they used to. Now, granted, the seeker people would say, well, that's because you're not doing it right. Because I've heard people say, too, it's growing a church is, you know, 90% psychology, 10% theology. Um, and that comes back down to that whole question of who is it for, like we've said. 
Um, but I do think that that's a big thing, right? So asking your people to respond to salvation um, and having that altar call, if someone's going to get saved, someone's going to come down. I, that's why I've moved away from that. And I, and I think like you've said too, like response time is what I really focus on because I, I look at my congregation and for the most part, I look and I see, especially depending on which service, you know, um, these are, they're all Christians in here or at least professing, right? What, what, I don't want to ask them to get saved again. That, right. that would be, you know, so I want them to respond though. I do think Jesus even makes you do something with his words, respond somehow to them. And so I think that we have to say to our people, you should do something. You've just encountered the text, especially if you preach exegetically, the text has been read and explained to you, do something about it, you know, respond to it. Um, and that will look different based on each Christian that hears it. But, and I'll, I'll chime in later on about, well, I'll just say it now. I still believe that lost people are going to come to your service though. As long as those doors are open, people are going to come in. People are going to invite people. That's always going to happen. That We even see that in first Corinthians that lost people will be there. Yeah. Okay. That being said, uh, and that's why I still share the gospel every single Sunday. Um, but I think more so that gospel being shared is for my people to be strengthened so they can go and share that. But the hope is that if there is somebody who does, that's the first time they've heard it. The second time it just keeps hitting them and they hear it again. So I'll throw that back out to you. I know I just went and took over that last five minutes. It's all right. Yeah, no, I mean, th this is important because it's uh, it's at the center of the gospel. It's the center of, of uh, our worship gathering is a desire uh, to see people come to faith. And we know that the angels rejoice. Um, so it's, it's a heavenly desire. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, important to think through this. Um, I was thinking of a couple of verses that popped in my head in Acts, the um, message of Peter. Uh, he finished his message in Acts 2, and it says, they were cut to the heart. And they said, uh, men and brethren, what shall we do? And so they recognized, uh, we've heard the gospel, we have to do something. And of course, Peter calls them to repent and be baptized. Um, then we go a little further, the sermon of Stephen. He gave this great message, and they were cut to the heart. Because that's what the word of God does, right? It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the division of uh, flesh and spirit. And it, it calls us, you know, it cuts into our heart and calls us to respond. Now, in Acts 2, they respond with salvation. In Acts 7, they gnashed their teeth at him and they martyr him. And so there is a response that the gospel pulls out of people. And it may be very different depending on where you're at. Uh, you know, Billy Graham gave a sermon where he talks about if you're hearing my words right now, this is a dangerous moment for you because you can either harden your heart against it uh, or you can, you know, submit to the gospel and, and give your life to Christ. And so we recognize that that's, that's part of faithfully preaching the word of God. The spirit will do the work and call people to respond. And so the question then is, should we make space in the worship service for a response publicly? Uh, and I think, uh, or just a response, you know, because it doesn't even have to be public. Um, but, you know, part of that altar call is the coming forward and either praying with the pastor or, you know, um, knee kneeling at the altar, uh, which for us is typically a, a step or a, a bar of some kind and uh, using some time to pray in response. And some people uh, will do that publicly. Other will do it from their, their chair. I, I've never worried too much where people go to have that response. But uh, one of the things uh, that's helpful is uh, being able to connect with someone who is needing a, uh, a real moment 
for guidance, you know, so having a pastor at the front and having people come and pray uh, might be helpful for someone who doesn't know what they're supposed to do to say, oh, we can go forward and I can talk to one of the pastors or someone trained. So on its face, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think the problem is when we as pastors find our own validation in how many people came forward. And when we put uh, undue pressure manipulation to get people um, to come forward that maybe not be ready. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then also there's a problem that, hey, we took care of it at the altar. So follow up and discipleship. Hey, you know, check it off the list. You know, that, that can also be a, a negative here is that you get someone to come forward. And if you're not very disciplined in discipleship and, and taking the next steps, uh, did you get a document of them coming? Did you write down something so that you can follow up and see how things are progressing? Or did you check your box and uh, they did the altar call? So I'm, I'm now I'm done. So, so there are some yeah. dangers with, uh, with that. I definitely think there's dangers in people associating that they came down the aisle right? They came, I pastor, I came down the aisle. This is inevitably going to lead us into the next part, but let's talk about this altar call for a sec. But yeah, I came down the aisle. I, I responded. Um, okay. But that response is more than just that few minutes. Um, I will say, I think one of the things has also been kind of molding my thoughts on this too, is what Jesus preaches. Uh, what what uh, Matthew shows us in uh, Matthew 8, when these two guys want to follow him. And um, the first one says to him in verse 19, you know, hey, I'll go, I'll follow you wherever. And Jesus essentially tells them, he says, foxes have dens, birds have the, uh, the sky, uh, the sky have nests, son of man is a place to lay his head. So he's essentially saying, hey, buddy, you better think about this before you actually do this, right? Like, don't just jump into this willy nilly. Don't just come uh, thinking you, this is how it's going to be. Then there's the flip side, right? There's the other guy says, Jesus, you know, I want to come follow you. Let me go bury my father. He says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And in that case, that's a guy who's got kind of excuses and he's calling them. And so that's the thing too, is like in terms of response, like Jesus is asking two different things of these guys. You know, one of them is dude, don't just jump in at it and and wait, Uh, you know, just think about this. And the other is like, Hey dude, quit thinking about it come do it. And so I think there is that time to be say things like that to people. But I think that there is this aspect of like, we, we should not try to, we should not try to stir that or manipulate. We should be able to share that and say, you need to do something with this. Um, but I think beyond that, I think encourage it, think about it, but beyond like, this is the moment you must come down. Uh, that's part I just have trouble with. Um, I, you know, I, I do, do I think there's value in coming forward? Sure. I think one thing I've kind of liked too, by the way, is doing the Lord's supper up front. We change that after COVID, you know, like instead of passing everything, you come up front and you get your, you know, you get your cracker and your, your, your bread, your bread and you get your cup. Um, you know, and I think that, um, there's something valuable about coming down walking down with others, getting up out of your chair to do that. Uh, and because I think that's something where the, a visual response of we do this together, I'm still part of this, I still believe this is needed. I just don't think that necessarily my response uh, is needed and is going to all happen within those few minutes. Should we try to stir that and to say, you need to be thinking about it. Absolutely. But like I tell my people on Sunday, Hey, now that we're done, first I'll say, Hey, respond, 
pray, ask the Lord what he wants you to do. When that's done, sing, pray. When we're done, I say, come see us in the back. Come hang out with us. If you're somebody who has questions, if you're somebody who is, this is all new. If you're somebody that like, you know, you really want to learn what it means. Like we want to talk with you. So come spend time with us in the back. Um, and I, so, you know, you want people to be able to do that. You want people to feel comfortable um, in doing that. And so, you know, so I do think that's needed. I think people need an outlet to say, God has shown me something right here. But I, but you and I both know too, though, that we have people that reach out to us days later that have said, this is something that's changed as a result. And it doesn't happen right there in that five minutes until service is over. And so, yeah, I just, I think more and more, I'm not as uh, just big on saying something's got to happen and make that happen in those few minutes. I, I think we have to be mindful that there's stuff that's going to be happening for the rest of the week. You know, maybe it'll be something later on uh, that God does after they've heard it. So what do you think? Yeah, I, I think, again, um, depending on where you come at this emotionally, psychologically, you, you either can have real negatives against an altar call and or not, you know, very big positives. Um, and I don't think it needs to be uh, either or. I, I think there's value there. And uh, there's some good things, like you said, you know, coming forward. So I have people that come to the altar, uh, come, come pray, they kneel on the step and the cross is, you know, up there and they're praying for loved ones or they're, they're just each week. Yeah. Uh, I don't want them thinking that they're losing their sal salvation every week and having to regain it, which I think depending on your denomination and some of the more charismatic movements that happened in that revival era, a lot of people were getting saved every week because they believed they had to get saved every week. Yeah. And, and that's another piece of this that Baptists historically haven't been there. But, you know, so you don't want to necessarily use this in a way that teaches bad doctrine um, and, you know, recommitting my life to Christ. Well, I hope you do that daily. Um, yeah. But, you know, sometimes you've been wayward for a while and that's a very special moment when you come back and and you reaffirm that I'm going to do it differently from now on. And so um, there's also, I think, something helpful about kneeling. You know, sometimes, you know, uh, it's powerful for a, a dad uh, to come and kneel on the step and pray for his family on Sunday. And, and you know, other, other family members are doing that. So I think there's a beautiful thing that can happen there. I, I don't like it when it's manipulated or pulled out of people when it's not um, genuine. Um, and some people really connect well to that. And if no, if it's never done, you know, then they won't do it because they would be the only ones. And so I, I think as a time of response, we can get real creative about this. And um, there's a lot of value there, but I think it's incumbent upon the pastor to um, make sure that you're, you're not leading people in the wrong direction with this time of response, um, because it has been abused, I think, in places at different times. Uh, and so some people have been programmed to believe, well, this is what I have to do. Otherwise, I didn't obey God or otherwise I, I didn't get saved and that, that kind of stuff. So, um, but my dad was a big advocate of the altar call and we would do it every Sunday. So my church still does it every Sunday. And I don't yeah. have a huge thing about it, but it's a beautiful ending to the service. And um, it, it also connects well with other denominations, which we might talk about where altar came from and all those things as well. And then of course, uh, I think we, ha we have to look at the sinner's prayer piece. As yeah. Well, well, I mean, I guess, you know, go to that because my next question is too, is, you know, why, what difference does it make, especially in terms of praying and responding, right? Is that, you know, is that, you know, I don't know where that comes from in that you come to the steps, you know, is that just more for the worshiper 
to feel like I'm closer or this is important. I'm getting out of like, I'm just assuming a more of a humble posture. I don't, you know, I don't, I, that's where I don't know too, because I've had people in the past say, you know, Hey, we like that prayer time where we ask people to come down and pray, but you can pray in your seat too, you know, and you don't have to feel yeah. like you have to come down. I know that was a, a battle I had to kind of work through. And I think some of this also comes from, you know, a lot of revivalism uh, in the 18th, 1800s, 1900s. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people who became Baptist or Methodist in that time frame came from Anglicanism or from uh, Catholicism. And uh, in the Catholic tradition, I'm not as familiar with Anglican uh, tradition, but I think it's pretty similar. Uh, you would go for the communion at the end of service and kneel and open your mouth, and the priest would put uh, the elements into your mouth. And, uh, and then you'd take the cup. So there was a coming forward moment. And there was a kneeling moment, and then there was the receiving of uh, the Lord in that tradition. And so I think the altar call in some sense replaced that, but uh, people that came from those denominations knew that the service ended with this moving to the front and receiving. Yeah. And so it shifted from receiving the Lord's Supper every week and putting um, salvific value in that act with uh, gospel has been offered, come receive Christ. Um, through salvation and especially yeah. linked to revivalism and that idea that you'd have a uh, evangelist passing through his goal was not necessarily to have a church service. His goal was to get people saved. And then a lot of what was happening there, I think moved into the local churches because wow, look at all the people coming forward and receiving Christ. And so I, I think that there's some, this, this is adapted and evolving. Off yeah, of these that movements. makes sense. And, um, and again, and so you've recaptured kind of that, uh, Lord's supper come to the front together kind of thing, which, um, is there's value there in doing it together. Um, of course, I, I don't know that you're putting, you know, uh, communion in their mouths. Um, and even the Catholic church doesn't always do that anymore. I don't, I don't uh, think I'd like to do that. Um, yeah. But that, that goes <laughs> into other theology that, that you're not allowed to touch it, you know, pre-Vatican yeah. II, you, you're not allowed to touch the, the elements because you're unholy. Only the priest who's been ordained can touch those elements. And yeah. So some of that stuff is, um, beyond what we're looking at, but I get that. So. Well, okay. So let's talk about, I mean, so let, let's really get into this for just a second is how, how old is the tradition of the altar call? Now, I think you're, you're onto something and you're saying there's always been a tradition of coming down for something. Yeah. Um, and that was usually, you know, Eucharist in the context of those churches. Um, but uh, what about in more kind of Protestant evangelical churches um, where does that and how long has that been around? Uh, and that is, that's, that's something that's really more out of the, the kind of revival days um, that that's been around. It's not been around forever. It's not been a tradition that's been part of the church forever of you must respond. You must accept the Lord right now. Um, that stuff is, you know, it's, if you look at it, it's like 1800s, you know, altar call though, uh, shows up really, uh, if you look at, you know, as you and I were looking at that earlier, you know, like the, the altar call kind of really comes out of like early 1900s is where that term comes. Uh, but yeah, they're using those invitations come down. You've got to make your response, yeah. uh, in those, in the 1800s timeframe. 
Yeah. And that's, you know, I've always kind of smiled, like we call it an altar call. Where's the altar? You know, for, yeah. for, for us, we don't have, the reason it's called an altar in the Catholic church is because they're representing the sacrifice of Christ on that altar. And so that the word there has got a connection to Jesus as the sacrificial lamb and all of that theology surrounding the Eucharist in the, in the Catholic tradition. We don't have that. And so there really is not an altar per se. Uh, what we have usually is a table uh, where the Lord's Supper, but when we remove the table because we didn't do the Lord's Supper every week, what happens is that that language and that idea has been caught up in that Protestant evangelical idea of the gospel. That, that if there is a sacrament, it is the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And therefore what you have conceived of uh, as the Eucharist being your path to salvation has been replaced as uh, gospel centric and that, that we proclaim the gospel. And if you would come forward and receive the Eucharist, come forward and receive true Christ uh, that, that will come into your heart, Jesus in relationship. And so you kind of see that pivot. And then again, you have Methodists and Baptists really gaining ground. Well, it's not that America was filled with just absolute um, atheists. Most of these people that converted in the Great Awakenings converted from being baptized as infants in a tradition that baptized infants um, in the Anglican church uh, primarily or Lutheran church uh, and they became mostly Methodists or um, Baptists and again what way to, what better way to rededicate your life or get saved the first time than following it up with believers baptism so the Baptists gained a lot of ground in this period through revivalism and that made its way into that worship um, yeah so again, I, but yeah. Even that context that you listen to, I mean, you think about the 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 1800s. Um, you think about the context of who your churches were filled with, um, and people who had some background in the church in the gospel. I think this leads into that conversation we're headed to, which is the idea of demanding, not demanding, but we're asking for a response to salvation every time. Um, you know, I think you look, and I, I think this is a helpful conversation for us to talk about, I guess, I guess for another time, maybe when Dennis, I was on the phone, maybe I'll try to get him um, when he's here in a few weeks to get on and talk with you and me, um, because this would be a good discussion to talk about. Okay, so evangelism through the church, is that something we need to do? And so I'm going to put that as a little side note, um, because I think all this stuff is tied to from who was there before, what were we asking of these people versus now you have somebody who comes in and they have no backing, no grounding in what the text is and what it means to follow. And, and, um, you know, so I think those are, that's another piece that's already stirring in my mind. So I'll pull out the card and write it down for another time. Let's, you ready yeah. to talk about the sinner's prayer though? Yeah. Yeah. I think we've got a few minutes to, to talk about And we need to talk about that one. Also, the term altar call, you know, coming out of the holiness movement and Pentecostal movement, again, goes back to that idea that you always had people to get saved if you can lose your salvation and you need to get saved each week. And so in the Nazarite tradition, in the Pentecostal tradition, um, that's another thing that we, we kind of forget. Um, once saved, always saved is, is really tied to Baptists uh, or eternal security in the sense of reformed. And so because of that big distinction, um, some of the traditions that we had just assumed, of course, people need to get saved. It's been a whole week. Who, who didn't commit some kind of mortal sin in, in the last seven days? You know, uh, so that, that's another piece that uh, we, we inherit a tradition without the theology that produced some of the results. Um, That'd be great. I mean, could you imagine just saying, you imagine like 
my my evangelism and my baptism and response numbers could be insanely high and then yet still have the same people every week right we could say a hundred percent of you know evangelism baptism growth every time that's exciting yeah, I, I don't think they, they wouldn't necessarily rebaptize, but they would for certain um you know uh, get saved again that's right um, yeah that's a, have we done rebaptism before on this thing yet we a little bit on that. I, don't I don't remember think we focused, uh, completely on that, but we talked about baptism and um, and again, how many are there and, and all of that. And I think and we I, did. That was like an early one, I thought. It, it was. We were focused on just kind of the basics. So go see the wonder, video on baptism. Yeah, I um, wonder if we'll ever get to a point where we just start like, yeah, I don't remember. Let's just keep, <laughs> let's do another one, you know. Well, and then, you know, you, you kind of change or you have a different angle on it. So yeah, we'll definitely repeat. Um, sinner's prayer, I guess the, the big question I have is, should we do that in a different episode because we don't necessarily have to do it now i don't want to rush it um, i think we should let's do sinner's prayer next time let's let's finish this on this response thing though so okay let me say this so i i will say this too i i i think there are times where god asks your people to do something um and I, occasionally i have a sermon where there will be something i want my people to respond towards right it comes out of the text we need to do this because this is what God is calling us to do. And if you're sharp as a pastor and you've got it together, occasionally there are those Sundays where you're like, man, I have so planned out that I actually have, you know, we're going to ask people to serve and we're going to have them come down and grab this little thing and go, you know, think about it or come, you know, so occasionally you get those days. Right. And um, you know, I, I think some of those can be super helpful. I want you to come down. I want you to think about this. I want you to do this. If this is really something you're going to do. Um, I do. Th I've heard this one time though, because I, I remember being in a church that never did responses before and uh, they would just preach and then sing and it would be done. And I remember there was a time that I think it was, it was such a good time. It could have been a time to really ask people to just respond in some way. And uh, the, the guy said, well, I don't want to embarrass anybody. And, and uh, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I don't want to embarrass you. I'm thinking like, dude, you're here, right? You're not, we're not asking you to come down or anything like that. We're just, you know, I, I just felt like sometimes you're going to miss an opportunity. So even by saying all of this, even though I'm not a come down, pray at the steps kind of guy, if you want to pray at the steps, go for it. Um, I just, I feel like, um, you know, that there can be value in coming down, right? If that's helpful for you, if that, if that's something you feel like to ask a response is, can be valuable. Uh, I just, you know, I think, I, you know, I just don't think that coming down is something that we should demand or put into the place where people think that there's something special that they came down and responded versus they did it on their way home in the car. I mean, I mean, how many times, Andrew, have you had a sermon preached that it really doesn't hit you till later in the week. Like I remember one time I had a message that was preached. I don't even know what it was about. I remember something that was said that I thought, man, it wasn't like till midweek that I'm like, okay, Lord, I want to change this as a result. And so I think that's something that we have to say is like this response has to extend. And we have to remind our people, your response to this extends into the week into the year, right? You should be doing something with this. Don't, it's not just, I came down and said something to somebody. 
Um, it might not be that you know what God wants you to do until next week about what you, you've heard today. So I think there's that piece too of uh, that balance that we need to have and understand that I think it is valuable, but um, yeah, but how do you also realize it's not about that exact moment and that time? Yeah, and I, I think that that's true. And um, again, I think it's a balanced view of saying, okay, uh, I, I always will give time in the service to respond. And then I will typically give a you know, 60 second gospel if the message wasn't on the gospel so that that's there in case a lost person, um, if the spirit has led them there and they, this is the moment, you know, it, there is a moment when you give your life to Christ. Um, I like to have that opportunity. Um, but that's not where all my eggs aren't in that basket. Uh, and, uh, and then I'm not going to necessarily assume that uh, there's no work to be done beyond that. And yeah, some people don't like to respond in that way and there's nerves. And so it's good to have additional ways to respond so that you can kind of get a feel for where, where people in your church are at. Because some people walking that aisle is the most terrifying moment. And we've already talked about this. I think the public profession is baptism. Yeah. So, so, you know, um, I, I don't want to necessarily have someone uh, petrified because they have to walk in front of everybody and it's a nervous thing, not come talk to me about getting saved, you know, so I want to, you know, the response card is always a really helpful tool. Rick Warren uh, kind of pragmatically created that because he was meeting in buildings with uh, orchestra pits and if people came forward, they would fall down a story, you know, so he was trying to find ways to get response out of people in different, uh, at different levels and in different ways. And then, of course, if uh, their commitment requires my response as a shepherd, I need to be faithful in that as well. Um, and so, you know, um, you got to get your own ego out of it. You got to understand the value of what you're trying to offer and then, um, you know, pray through it. I, I do like the idea of asking everybody every week before you leave, what is your commitment to the Lord now? And you might have other things develop. But um, and the spirit might begin working with you, but um, you can do that anywhere in the church. Um, but no problem coming forward and um, getting on your knee. I, I think that that's also another thing, too, is posture and worship um, sometimes helps communicate that to our spirit. So if um, we don't have kneelers anymore, you know, um, so sometimes the only place that you can kneel in worship uh, yeah. is at the step. And so even pragmatically, that that might be a reason to do that, too. So. Yeah, a lot of interesting stuff. Hey, man. Well, this is this is helpful. It's helpful the process. I think it's helpful too for those guys to think through, especially if you're getting into your first church or you're getting pushback because you're convicted about how something should be and it's always been this way. Uh, I know I needed something like this to just process and to say, look, man, you know, like response is good, but not necessarily 100%. Do we have to keep doing? the same thing we've always done. And should we be looking? I will say, I think you're absolutely right. There's such a pressure on, on response. Um, when you do a response, like uh, come down and, you know, like you swing and a miss, right? Nobody came, you know? I mean, I've, I've always felt like the time that people end up responding to my messages are the ones that I think are duds too. Um, and like one time I remember, like, I thought now nah, this is a message I was preaching in Mark or something on the Sabbath. And, um, I thought, man, I just, it's just one of those ones. I just don't, I don't feel the fire. Right. But I preached it and I had people like come coming down, you know, and crying and wanting to talk about it afterwards. And, and I wasn't doing an altar call or anything like that, but it was like, oh, crud, I didn't, didn't realize that. 
um you know so i you know i think but i, I think also like you don't know what god's going to do through his text through his message and that's why it's important to be expository exp- expositional in your preaching because it's more of god's word let it do its thing whether it does it immediately there or it does it some other time later uh, it's not going to go out in vain Uh, he's going to have his way with it and so just having that as a reminder that like it does not rise and fall on you know all you know who can come down don't measure your ministry that way Uh, and the same thing is people don't measure your response in that way You know, it would be the worst thing for you to come down and then walk away and think I've responded. You didn't respond if that's all it was. You know, you just had an emotional tie. But I think you're right too. I wonder what it'd be like to have a response time with no music. Yeah, and that's that's part of that corporate thing. I, I used to think, okay, we're not going to have any music. It'll just be cut and dry. We won't, you know. And the reality is, some of it's just uh, there are people that aren't going to come down. What are they supposed to do? Stare at everybody, yeah. you know. So a lot of times you're going to respond in the words we'll just yeah. worship some more music and and uh, yeah, yeah. pray this back to god there's nothing wrong with that and it gives a, a little bit of uh, something for the rest of everybody to do and makes it a little less awkward for those that are coming forward and, yeah. and I, you know it's kind of cool because i just have inherited a tradition where we have a lot of people that come forward every week and just pray which makes it easier for that one person who might be nervous to come forward um, but again uh that's not the measure of success or failure. I, I, I want to find a way to make sure that if someone, if the spirit's working on somebody, I want them to be able to connect with me somehow. Yeah. And that, you know, may not be coming down in the front. It may be filling out a card and dropping it in a box and having a phone call later. Um, and then just, uh, it's just part of the worship. Okay. You know, we're going to respond together and some people are going to respond with salvation. Some people are going to respond in prayer. Some are going to sing. And, um, and then a lot of times we'll, you know, I, I encourage confession at that point in time as well, because sometimes we'll do the Lord's Supper following that. And so get, get your hearts right. You know, so this is, uh, uh, there's just, there's good value there if you use it. And, yeah. you know, if you, uh, if you have a place that they don't do that, it, it, I don't think it's a sin not to have it um, in, in that way. But I, I still would challenge you, find ways to help your people respond yeah. so that they leave to the mission field with something to do, um, to believe better to act upon, you know, that there's always a response when the word of God has been preached. Absolutely. Hey man, that's a great way to end it right there. Just like that. All right. Well, you want to close this out then? Let's do it. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace. All right, man. We'll see you later. Thanks for watching. It's good to hear you guys. See you. Kate, like, subscribe we want to hear from you let us know what's going on um you know if we can any topics you want to hear too as a another otxnt all right take care later. everybody bye